0: I'm on sabbatical from SBC this semester, uh, so I've had a lot of opportunities to, to serve and learn and also to rest a bit as well. Uh, in January, Lisa and I were, were able to go uh, to the Philippines for, for the month of January, and it was really a good time of, of uh, a little bit of adventure, uh, some reconnecting with friends and co-workers, uh, some former students, and, and some rest and relaxation as well. But while I was there, I had a very interesting conversation and heard a story that I thought would really fit with, uh, with the message this morning. So I've had a friend, uh, this guy named Pastor Buddy, uh, a Filipino man who is about my age, who has been active in, in very unique ministry for many, many years. And he shared this incredible story with me late one night. So during the early months of the pandemic in the Philippines, there was a hard lockdown. I mean... There were soldiers, there were police, there were checkpoints everywhere. It was a very, very tight lockdown that lasted actually until fairly recently. Um, and in his part of, of Manila, there were many, many people who were incredibly poor. And the government recognized that due to lockdowns, these people would struggle to have enough money to, to eat. These are people who worked as vendors, they worked in markets, they were day laborers, and, and so on. So he said the government recognized these people are going to struggle because they just earn money daily. So if everything's locked down, what will they do? And the the local government said in this part of Manila, 50,000 people are going to need help. They're going to need food every day just to make it through. But the government and the local leadership were wise enough to realize it was a lot more than just food that these people needed. People needed to trust the soldiers and the police who would be delivering the food. They needed to also receive encouragement and spiritual care as well, and prayer. So, first of all, Buddy said the government asked local Catholic priests, can you help? And for the most part, they said, we're quite worried and we're super cautious, so probably not right now. And he said, mostly they stayed in their offices and stayed safe. The government asked local Muslim imams and leaders, and they said, yeah, we're willing to do it, but mostly just for Muslims or people who are... Maybe going to become Muslims, so we'll do a little bit. So finally, Buddy said that they asked the local evangelical pastors, and he said it was remarkable. We had unity, and we said, "Yep, we're ready to go." So soon, Pastor Buddies and other uh, Pastor Buddy and other local leaders were riding on the backs of huge trucks with giant pots of stew and soup to distribute to fifty thousand people every day. And he said it was incredible the opportunities they had to pray with the people who received the food. They helped give it out. He said they had opportunities to pray and share the good news of Jesus with the soldiers who were driving these trucks and cooking all this food in huge facilities. They prayed with the police. They prayed against fear. And they prayed for hope in Jesus. And, of course, they prayed for encouragement for all who were struggling with fear and and those people that were super poor who were receiving the food. Pastor Buddy shared with me that by the end of this time of food distribution, people knew these pastors. They knew who they were. They recognized that they were united, that they had common purpose. And they knew that pastors were like the hands and feet of Jesus. He said there were so many opportunities during the pandemic to share about Christ in very practical ways. But he said we had to actually overcome some of our own fear and the strangeness of suddenly being embedded in the military and local police who don't always have a very good reputation. But he said, a lot of people are coming to us now as things have opened up. And he said, the the funny challenge that we have now is because we also weren't super wealthy, is we weren't able to pay rent on our buildings and churches anymore. So we're kind of just pastors that are still just roaming around in communities. We don't have buildings. We We need to find them again and places to go. So I thought that was an incredible story, about unity at kind of some of the ragged edges of of some of the things that happened during the pandemic. But he would say, and he said to me, it was this cool opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a united group of pastors. He said, we don't always agree about everything, because we're from all these different backgrounds. But during that time, we worked together, and we're still working together. Today is Palm Sunday, And I think I wanted to share a little bit of a background leading up to Palm Sunday and then give a bit of context for John 17, the passage that I'll be sharing about. Jesus' final week before his crucifixion seemed just full of so many different things. I think it's important just to summarize it briefly to kind of retell a little bit of the story to give some background and context to what I'll be sharing. So in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He shows God's glory through this, his power over death. And it's interesting, by John 12, the priests have decided that they're going to kill Lazarus because of his witness about this you know, coming back to life of being raised from the dead. This man trailing grave clothes and emerging out of the tomb, almost this foreshadowing of what will happen with Jesus in just a few short days. Plots to kill Jesus also intensify from his religious enemies during this week. As they resist the broad scope of Jesus' kingdom, this idea of bringing together and uniting all the scattered children of God who are all around the world, from all these different people groups. People really resisted that. They did not want to widen the kingdom to include Gentiles, especially and those from other places. Then Jesus is shockingly and extravagantly anointed with perfume, very expensive perfume by Mary, in a sense preparing him for burial. A lot of very unique things happened in this week. And then in John 12, of course, the, the theme of today in certain ways with Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, perhaps at the height of his fame and popularity among the common people. People are already in the city. These pilgrims are there in Jerusalem in huge numbers for Passover. And they lay down palm branches ready for the conquering king who comes in the name of the Lord. They hail and give glory to the king of Israel. And Jesus fulfills this prophecy where it says, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. So many things have happened in this one week. Huge crowds now are welcoming Jesus and waving these palm branches, welcoming him into Jerusalem. They were there probably because of his miracles, his power, and even the way that he raised Lazarus from the dead. Imagine a king who could raise people from the dead. Just the incredible power that Jesus had demonstrated there was unity in that crowd on Palm Sunday because they wanted to crown Jesus King then the story moves on in John Jesus starts to share more hard truths about his imminent death and the people struggle to believe they don't want to really hear that story hearts are hard eyes are blind this is revealed as people uh, didn't really want to follow the kind of king that Jesus said he would be a king for all peoples. That was really hard for people to accept. They wanted a Jewish king. They wanted a Messiah. But he would be for all peoples. But he would also be a suffering king, one who would be crucified, and then remarkably rise from the dead, emerge from the grave. Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and he shows them the nature of a servant leader. They eat the Last Supper together, There is this betrayal by Judas, constant reminders of Jesus pointing to his father's glory, and then some key teaching to his disciples about what ministry would look like once he was gone. Jesus promises the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, who will be with him when he's gone. Jesus said, you will have access to my father, you will have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you will produce fruit that will last, but he also says, and there's always this ending that sounds a little bit dark. There will be persecution, right? There will be persecution, and you're going to be scattered. It's never easy to hear stories like that, right? The end of the story, you always hope for just a good ending. It's very complicated. It's amazing, but there's this ending in in this promise of struggle and even opposition. Jesus teaches about the vine, and his disciples seem to start to understand, but just in a short time, many of them have abandoned him. They're afraid, hiding as he's on trial. Unity is a struggle, right? These disciples, they were together. They were excited to be with Jesus on Palm Sunday. They were happy to be there at the Last Supper, but doubt started to emerge, and I'm sure they had fear, as Jesus shared about some of the hard things that were coming. And then when Jesus was on trial, they hid. Many of them were hiding, including Peter denying Jesus. Finally, we arrive at John 17, where Jesus prays, and of course he prays for himself, that he would be ready to be glorified on the cross the resurrected one sent from God to be sacrificed as the Savior of the world for all of the sin of the world, all of the sinners trapped in darkness. Jesus prays for his disciples in verses 6 through 19, that they would know the Father, that they would have eternal life. This word know shows up again and again. The key to following Jesus is truly to know him, and the Holy Spirit gives us that capability. Finally, Jesus prays for his disciples and says that, you know, he really wants to pray they wouldn't be taken out of the world, but protected in the world. So they'd keep serving and living. They were sent into the world. It's a very missional prayer. Not to leave, but actually to lean in. Similar to Pastor Buddy and his his team of pastors. Not to just hide, but to actually lean in and serve in times of danger. So glory comes up quite often. I'll read the text in a little bit. And it seems like this, this... theme of glory, being clothed in splendor, this restoration to what Jesus shared with the Father before the world began, comes up again and again. The horrors of the cross, the pain of the cross, leads to the glorification of the Son, who then goes back to the the side of his Father. All right, I'll read uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, and I'll share some thoughts from that passage. So Jesus says, and this is where his prayer gets very big. He says, my prayer for them my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world can believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, And have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory. The glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, although the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. In order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. Incredible passage, and in certain ways it's clear, in other ways it sounds a little bit confusing and circular, so I'll try to kind of unpack it and share a bit of what I've been thinking about as I've prepared for this message. So now, what Jesus had been praying for his disciples, those who were with him, the 12, I guess the 11, because Judas, of course, has betrayed him, he's praying for this small group, uh, now he prays the same prayer for all believers. Not just at that time, his followers in, in Israel, but all believers in distant lands and in future times. Prayer to our Father, just as a side note, is incredible. Prayer crosses the boundaries of time and space. It's not limited by closed doors, powerful evil regimes, or even apathetic people. Prayer crosses those boundaries. So Jesus is praying forward. He's praying Into the future for us today. Jesus prays, in fact, for all of those who will believe in him because of this message. The message of Jesus has been shared globally, and the Church of Jesus Christ will be global. It is global, it's all around the world today, and we're praying for it to reach every corner, every people, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Jesus, in his prayer, is seeing with eyes of faith his followers filled with power making disciples of all nations. Jesus sees his church, his people, and they are part of this one big body. Jesus could actually see our church when he was praying this prayer. He could see you. He loves our church, and he loves you, and he challenges you in a few ways through this this passage. So, what exactly is Jesus praying for in this passage? I think two things. That his followers in the future would be united, and that they would see his glory, number two. All right, so when you think about the global church, all the true followers of Jesus who confess him as Lord and Savior, the resurrected Lord who, who saves us from sin, those people, those followers of, of Jesus called Christians, it's not really like an organizational or an administrative kind of unity that Jesus is talking about, not this office tower with many layers of, of leaders, but rather kind of a living, organic union And the powerful example that Jesus gives is like the union between the Father and the Son. They're together. The Father is in the Son. The Son is giving glory to his Father. So the unity he's talking about is a life-giving, organic union. And LaGrange describes it in this way. The Son, Jesus, is in those of us who are faithful followers by the power of the Spirit. The Son is in the Father. So because of Jesus... And by Jesus, the faithful are also in the Father. So there is this Trinitarian circle that's, that's so powerful and mysterious. This union that Jesus talks about, this unity, is based on divine love, love that is so deep and powerful that God sent his only Son into the world for us. So the Holy Spirit fills us, and even though Christians around the world face struggle and persecution, they are filled with the Spirit, They're filled with the glory of God. And in a sense, they're also participating in the suffering of Christ because there's no guarantee of safety or the good life, right, when we follow Jesus. But in that struggle, that's where Jesus and the Holy Spirit are very active. As people serve and struggle and share Jesus together, as Christians, we're this powerful witness to the goodness and the love of God. The world sees this. The world longs for it and the world needs this kind of love desperately. A few more points. So how does Jesus pray for the world, those who don't know him or don't follow him? There are so many that oppose, right, the kingdom. He prays that they will believe, that they'll believe that the Father sent Jesus. He prays that the world will know that Jesus has this deep love for the church and the world. But he says the world doesn't really know my Father. He talks about that quite often. So how can the global church, the church around the world, start to see the glory of God? Jesus prays that all of those who are given to him, those followers uh, of of Jesus, would be with him. And that means we are with Jesus right now. Worshiping, preparing, learning, growing, and then also going out to, to work and to witness tomorrow, right, and beyond. When we are with Jesus, we start to catch glimpses of his glory Not from a distance, but up close, where we catch these glimpses of his power, his majesty, and the way that we can settle into this personal side that he shows his love to us. God glorified Jesus. He raised him from the dead. He brought him back to his side because he loved Jesus from even before the creation of the world. If we suffer, and of course I've shared that we do in different ways, we will also share in his glory. So Paul says in Romans 8.18 that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that's hard. It's, hard. it's a hard statement to say that through the tough things we experience that God's glory would be revealed. But I think it's so encouraging to see how we have so many examples around the world of people who suffer but show God's glory. They praise God for his goodness. All right. So when I think about the global church... Um, There are lots of stories that I could tell and I'll just have to limit it, but um, when we were in the Philippines in January, I thought about uh, visiting a church that I'd I'd often wanted to visit. It was a large church that started in the 1990s. I was there um, as a young man uh, when I was a college student doing an internship and there were maybe 150 people at this church. It was started by a missionary And they had English services. That was one of the reasons I I liked going there, because I could understand a bit more of of what was going on. And today, this church of 200 has become 50, 60, 70,000. I really don't know how big it is. And we went to their main service, and it was a service of 10,000 people. And just a powerful, clear message preached uh, incredible worship in this massive facility. But of course, the church isn't all just about the big. They had small groups. They had life groups that shared Christ that were active in ministry together. We also went to small churches, um, churches that we had been involved with before who also were praising and glorifying God. So it's not just about the size, but it's about this focus on Jesus, his glory, and what he's called us to do. All right, I think it's important to remember, and I've been able to travel a fair amount to different countries. Wherever we travel any place that's easy to travel to, there will almost always be a church in that capital city where the airport is located. Um, There will be believers, uh, typically, in those cities where you touch down. Those are good opportunities to connect, to meet, to eat together, to ask questions, to pray, uh, to develop life and ministry together, to learn. There are pastors around the world that you might meet with who need encouragement. There are churches that we can attend when we're on vacation, Places where we can connect and grow and know in new ways. We can pray for partners, right? Whether it's local or global. When I was starting ministry in the Philippines as a 29-year-old, I just, I wasn't sure what to pray for. Like, how is this actually going to work? Working with street youth and, and guys from rough backgrounds. One of my mentors said, pray for one man to join you. One guy. So that happened when I prayed for a partner. And God provided this, this good guy. His name was Melchor. We developed a friendship and a partnership in, in ministry. I think we were united. Not always, right? We disagreed about some things, but we worked together for 10 years. I learned a lot about him. Uh, I learned a lot from him, and he learned from me as well. We were the same age, um, and we just, we clicked. Like God provided the right person for me to work together with us as we started ministry together. Together, and as much as we could, we were working in, in unity with each other. We worked, out, we worked with some, some really rough guys, guys who struggled with drugs, with brokenness and conflict. If I was by myself, I could not have done that for 10 years. But God gave me a key partner, a person to do it together with. So unity, even at the personal level, led to ministry that led to changed lives. And I hope it was also an example not just to our teams, but to the guys we were reach, reaching out to. And we had a lot of, a lot of times of humor, I like to drive, even though it was challenging in Manila, it's this huge city of 18 plus million. But often I would drive, even the Melcher could have as well, and inevitably the cops would pull us over. And they'd look in, they're like, what's going on here, a Filipino rider and like a white driver? And he would always joke, this is the the classic joke, he said, yeah, I've got a white chauffeur, I'm elite. You know, it was kind of that, so we always (laughs) had some good laughs about that. They're like, what? And they'd go, okay, you're joking. So we talked to them, and, and usually they'd let us go on our way. But yeah, so we had lots of, lots of good times together. All right, but right now today, in, in this context, here in our church. So remember that the Holy Spirit speaks to us today, and he will also be stirring in you and giving you ideas of how you can live out this unity that Jesus calls us to pursue. There are a few obvious ones. I would say a part of showing unity as a body is welcoming newcomers to our church. Uh, At a few different levels, right? Different spaces and places, in the foyer, in the service, and prayer. As we worship together, we show unity. As we eat together later on, that shows unity. But also invitation. Invite people to join us, to check us out. Introducing people to our pastors might mean something, right? People of faith, and also those who are on a faith journey. VBS is this opportunity to show unity, uh, that we're finally able to do it again, where we can work together with other churches. So that's a good way to, to live out this passage. Worship in the city is maybe an easy one. You can just go and attend and worship together with a wide group of churches. The EMC conference is happening in June. It does take out a little bit of time. I recognize that. But it's worth meeting brothers and sisters uh, and, sis- you know, brothers and sisters, brothers from other EMC churches. And it's in Rosenort this year, so it's not that far away. You can actually go out and attend. Refugee support and partnership. It's more than just thoughts and prayers, right? Like we can say that, but to actually do things, to share, to give, and to support as this family arrives. Keep praying for them. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. EMC missions. It's challenging at times to support. Sometimes it's hard to pray. But I also want to challenge you to consider uh, part of Jesus' prayer forward is to keep going out. And I'm thinking about southern Spain in particular, in, in the city of Algeciras, where where EMC is launching ministry that's focused on North Africa. So some of you might feel a a tug or a call to go or to pray or to give. So globally, I often talk about this in my missions courses, and I'm wrapping up in in just a a few few minutes. Globally, the the catchphrase for mission used to be, you can choose to pray, give, or go. I think now we need to add the word receive, because there are so many new people arriving in Steinbach, in Manitoba, in Canada as well. So as you consider that idea of receiving people from the, the global south, from other parts of the world. Many people are Christians who want to serve, but, and this is a really important one, we need to pray for new people who arrive in Steinbeck that they would not be swallowed up by materialism or secularism. There are huge temptations with the wealth and comfort that we have here in Steinbeck that, that can actually squash people's faith. So invite people in, worship, learn together, and also caution people that money, And a solid government system, there's debate over that, but uh, that the systems don't actually save us, right? It's following Jesus Christ. So be aware of that. Don't let newcomers become just like us. Allow difference. Be ready to adjust, adapt, and change as the Holy Spirit directs us together. Times of crisis are times of opportunity for partnership and unity. So when you consider unity, are there crises that we can respond to as a church? Select people to go. Are there people from our church who should be going into global ministry, those that should be connecting with key churches and serving around the world? All right, so in conclusion, Jesus calls us to be united, to show people around us examples of the love of the Father. He encourages us to reflect the glory of God in such a bright way that people start to long and desire to follow Jesus. So I'd encourage you, Pursue unity with other Christians in good times. Pursue unity with other Christians in the hard times. Christian unity leads to open eyes, open hearts, and healthier churches. Jesus prayed for this more than 2,000 years ago, and he is still praying for you today. Thanks.